Welcome. You are listening to Copland. Copland is about the life and times of our protectors and defenders, police, fire, EMS, medical trauma units, and the military. The underappreciated doing the unthinkable for the often ungrateful. I am Jay Dobbins, and I'll be your host. In each season, we will hear three episodes featuring extraordinary heroes, amazing personal experiences that will inspire and uplift you. Sometimes they might shock you. The highs and lows, the successes and the failures, told in their own words and all experienced during their personal journey of sacrifice to make the world a safer place. This is Copland. heaven, hell, and anything in between to get to you. You wouldn't be safe anyway if I was mad at you. And that's not bull, Dip. That's the truth. I've went up against people. You could pull a gun on me, and if I'm mad at you, I'm coming forward. You'd have to shoot me to stop me. And if you don't kill me, you're stupid. So next time you see me, <laughs> I will kill you. Assassin. Sounds so exotic. <laughs> I was just a murderer. We were following this fellow. We pulled up at a, a red light. Came alongside him. And shot the shotgun, took his head off. He never saw the green light. I told him I wasn't happy that he wasn't going to pay me. He had the attitude that uh, nobody could hurt him. I think he was wrong. Anyway, he never saw Christmas. I walked away. I put toys together for the kids for Christmas. I was annoyed I couldn't get the damn wagon together. Those were the words of Mafia serial killer Richard Kuklinski, better known as the Iceman. The focus of this episode is retired ATF agent Dominic Palafrone. He lived a life and career most of us only dream of, taking down the Iceman and much more. Gambino, Lucchese, Genovese, Colombo, Bonanno, New York's five Italian organized crime families. Their members are a who's who of crime and punishment. Their lives are the basis for some of Hollywood's most popular films and television's most successful shows. They have been immortalized as a part of American pop culture. The characters and stories of the mob underworld fascinate those of us on the outside. Dom Palafrone didn't stay on the outside. His unprecedented undercover work touched each of those syndicates. Dom's introduction to Mobland began at an early age, and innocently, as a milkman. I used to deliver milk uh, before school, and I'd make, you know, earn some extra money. And during that time, I'd work like from 4 o'clock in the morning till about 6.30, and I was making $7 a week. You know, I said, wow, man, you know... That was good money back then. And then a couple of times I found money in these milk bottles and I asked the driver, like, what is this? And he 
says, those are numbers. I said, what do you mean numbers? He says, people play numbers, you know, box, straight, and explain to me how it works. And I started collecting the numbers for these guys and also delivering milk. So by collecting the numbers and giving them to the bad guys, and I was driving a truck at 14 years old, uh, making the deliveries at night, uh, and then... Um, the cops got to know me. Everybody knew me. So in the neighborhood, it was a big Italian neighborhood, and they let me do my thing. So I was making $14 a week. I was loaded. I said, man, I have so much money. It was great. I was taking my friends out for ice cream, and, you know, I was really living the life. But I learned that during that time about these certain people that let you do things with their approval. Dom's father kept him on the straight and narrow by teaching him the meaning of hard labor. And that came with an ultimatum. And my father worked construction seven days a week. And he goes, you know, I was working with him for a while to make some extra money when I got older in high school. And he handed me that sledgehammer from six o'clock in the morning, you know, till about five at night. And he goes, either this or college, pick, pick it. And I, you know, and I thought I was, you know, tough. And I said, ah, this is no problem. He said, I can do this. And uh, maybe after two days of swinging John Henry, man, for eight hours a day, breaking concrete, I said, I'm going to college. Dom was an outstanding athlete. After graduating Hackensack High School in New Jersey, he played football at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. But before he could graduate, a cop who saw Dom's potential redirected his life's path. First, I was a walk-on, but I had football experience. I was uh, uh, all-county, second-team state in New Jersey. So I uh, walked onto the field. There must have been like, I'd say about 12 linebackers. And uh, subsequently, I worked my way into the lineup. I started, uh, it was a great career. I was real fortunate. I was uh, first-team All-American as a uh, linebacker out there. I was a Southeast heavyweight Golden Gloves. And I did a lot of crazy things. Uh, Worked out at this place called the Foxhole, which was a wise guy joint out in South Omaha. I was in a lot of trouble. The police director said, listen, you have to take electives. You're going to take electives and you're going to take criminology. I was taking uh, education courses. So what had happened is I started really getting into the criminology end of it. And I said, wow. So I changed my major. I graduated uh, at the University of Nebraska-Omaha with a criminology degree. Dom returned to New Jersey. From the early to mid-70s, he worked for the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office, building expertise in their narcotics and homicide squads. In 1976, he came to ATF and was assigned to work with a legendary agent. And there they hooked me up with Alex Diatri, one of the great undercover godfathers that you can ever want to be, and uh, took me under his wing and really nurtured me. We used to drive a Lincoln. And I can't tell you how many times the police officers stopped us. Couldn't believe that we were ATF agents and undercover cops. It was wild. Great time. Learned. Experiences were phenomenal. And I was making my bones. Alex was 
taking me and nurturing me and my buying handguns from bad guys. After solidifying his street cred, Dom was approached by the New York City Police Department's Organized Crime Bureau and given a test drive by a mafia informant. OCCB from New York City came in one night, and Joe Kelly, one of the other undercover agents who became a boss there, called me in, and we went into the Sachs office, and there were several OCCB organized crime people from New York City with a informant that was going to be put on the witness protection program. And they said to me that this informant is going to interview you with in front of us and see if you fit in because we'd like you to go with him if it works out tonight to make a, a buy, a renting of sort of shotguns from a guy by the name of Johnny Santoro, a made guy in Queens. So we sat down and cops and them was throwing this information out to me. And um, after about an hour, the informant says, we, we don't have to go any further. He says, he'll fit in perfectly with me. And this informant was phenomenal, and he was going on a witness protection program. Now, I made my bones, but not nothing compared to what I was about to do and get and enter into a different, really a different life, which is this, this where we're going to meet dual individuals with your traditional five organized crime families in New York, meeting the Gambinos, the Luchesis, the Genovese, the Columbos, the Bonanas. These were bad, bad guys, man. I mean, you know, you, all these families were tight, okay? And you don't, going to other territories, all right? It was all broken down. Who has part of Queens, Bronx, Brooklyn, et cetera, New Jersey, okay? But there were cells. Let's say there were cells from the Genovese family, okay? These guys would earn, but they'd also work with other crime families, okay? Because they'd earn money, and they don't want their bosses to know. So whether they're doing narcotics or whatever it may be, these people would love to earn and earn different types of money, whether it's swag, you know, stolen property, guns. It didn't matter, narcotics. Everything was on the table. So this individual was going to introduce me to people, which he did, and subsequently this investigation took off. As Dom further established himself in the mob underworld, he slowly removed his informant and began to run the streets on his own. And how it worked was he introduced me Let's say to you, Jay, okay, you're a made guy. And I was meeting made guys, and you don't typically go meet a made guy. You know, it takes time. But this typical informant was going to be put on a witness protection, his family, and he knew the consequences. So he introduced me to people. And then once they felt comfortable with me, I got him out of the picture. And how that worked was like this, me renting a sawed-off shotgun and meeting Johnny Santor in Queens, which we did that night. He rented me sawed-off shotguns that we were going to rip off an individual that had humbles that were worth a lot of money, and he'd get a percentage. That deal went down smooth that night. Then I was meeting another couple of wise guys that were set up through this informant, once the informant introduced me, 
maybe once or twice, he was out of the picture. So I was grabbing individuals. I met you first, Jay. I felt comfortable. Finally, we were doing our thing, and I said, listen, Jay, I don't need this other guy with me. Do you need him? I said, we can earn more money without him. And yeah, you know, get the informant out. I meet Jay. Jay and I are really bouncing. We're doing stuff. Now, Jay, we're meeting other people. Now, again, let's say I meet an individual by the name Alex. Finally, Alex and I are doing business. I said, hey, Al, I don't need Jay here. Do you? No. So Alex and I are really bonding and we're doing. And I go through 68 people. Associates and made guys through all five families. Dom interacted with a cast of characters who defined the landscape for New York's mafia business. Guys were giving me stuff on consignment. They were giving me silences on consignment. The U.S. Attorney couldn't believe what I was, <laughs> what I was getting from these guys. Uh, bearer bonds that were stolen from banks uh, with uh, $5,000 denominations. The banks didn't even know they were stolen. Uh, I had recording guys that were offering me different types of scams for monies, uh, sort of shotguns. I had a guy that had a brothel in New York City. He was selling me sort of shotguns and different types of weapons that were coming through the Kansas City mob in Manhattan. And everything was just falling into place. I had guys that were giving me pure heroin on consignment. I met another made guy in uh, in the Bronx. This guy was a made guy that the cops wanted for years. He meets me at the airport at JFK. New York Police Department gives me $30,000. You ready for this? The front. The front. You know there's no right? The front. He says, we want you to let the 10000 go, and when he arrives back with the other parts of the heroin, you give him the other twenty. It's okay. They're money, right? We meet. He comes up. Gentleman, man, dressed to the nines. How you doing? Good. He says, I'm going to call you every half hour and give you a status. I said, okay. I'm in a hotel room. I give him $10,000 right up front. Takes it. Out the door. Calls me every half hour. Sure enough, he comes back maybe two, three hours later with the heroin. I give him the other 20. He's counting. He made $30,000 cash. Plus, we fronted the 10000 right, in the beginning. I'm gold. You know I'm gold. You know, and word got out from solid, from from so many different avenues. I couldn't keep up after a while. The phone was ringing, people giving me swag. Uh, I couldn't go to all these places. I was so tired, you know, and then keeping track of everything and monitoring and, and then meeting a guy by the name of Joey Sick. Joey Sick was a crazy guy. Uh, I met him in Manhattan the first time. I meet him in Manhattan. <laughs> this is a crazy story. I meet him with this guy named uh, Johnny something from... Uh, Yonkers. They pick me up in the Cadillac. So I'm meeting Joe Sick goes, I know you. I know your brother. He's a good fella downtown. I'm going, yeah, yeah. 
you know, we're talking. He goes, you got to take a ride with me. I'm going to go meet my girlfriend up in uh, Riverside at the, uh, up in Riverdale in the Bronx there. It's all right. So we go. He says, he's got a bag with him. And he's a big guy, Joe. He's sick. He's allegedly told me that he killed a guy by the name of Peanuts Macedonia, made guy in uh, Yonkers, shot him several times uh, in his apartment. And this is all on tape. So I go to the uh, restaurant. And now this is a diner. I walk in with Joey. We sit down. He goes, honey, honey, look what I have for you. He pulls out these female underwear, bikinis, colors, blue, green, yellow, all different types of colors. And more. What the hell? He goes, baby, she goes, she looks at him. I said, Joe, what? something's not right here. What's going on? Oh, that's my girlfriend. That's her husband. I said, that's her husband? Yeah, and he better stay the fuck over there, too, by the cash register, because I'll put him in it. I swear, now, <laughs> this sounds just got, I'm laughing. I'm going, you know, I got to be a wise guy, so I'm laughing, yeah. She's serving this beautiful Greek woman, right? He says, honey, these, these bloomers are for you. He says, but I'll be back, right? These are the characters I'm working with. And I had guys setting up uh, motorcycle gangs that were working for the mob that were giving me explosives. I'm buying pipe bombs. I'm buying explosives. I'm buying machine guns. I went to this guy named Chipper who owned a garage in Brooklyn. And he owned all these trucks, towing trucks. And in Brooklyn, they had all these, like, you would pull down these aluminum window covers. And I said to him, I said, how do I know these are fully automatic? He says, no problem. Now, what he did was he had all the people take the, the tow trucks and rev them up. And I put down all the, the uh, like, aluminum or steel sort of curtains that come down. You see them during the hurricanes. They come down. And I loaded that bad boy up, man, and all you hear is boom, right across. There's holes all in the, in the, in the walls and in the uh, curtain frames that, uh, that are made out of metal or steel there. And uh, he says, that fully automatic for you? I said, absolutely. Absolutely, brother. And uh, word was out that I was good people, man, no matter what, you know. Dom's calling card to La Cosa Nostra was building relationships and trust with his cover name, Provenzano, borrowed from a union boss with deep connections. These guys trusted me. They thought my brother was a good fella downtown. I used the name Michael Dominic Provenzano. I met... Mr. Provenzano, who was head of the unions in New Jersey. And he always stuck on my mind, in my mind. Uh, he was an individual where you just, you know, you paid attention. What he said goes. He ran the unions. And they were trying to get uh, Provenzano for many, many years. A lot of people say, hey, you know, uh, Hoffa got too big. A lot of people think the mob and everything, certain people say, you know, that uh, Hoffa was was gone through organized crime. My information, and I believe strongly through the people that I still deal with, that Jimmy Hoffa was, <laughs> was murdered, okay, 
and it was set in stone by Mr. Provenzano, the head of the unions. Jimmy Hoffa was getting too big for his britches. He was calling out the attorney general for the for the um, government, uh, one of the Kennedys. A lot of heat was coming up, too much publicity. And my people, from what I hear, telling me that they took him, they had so many connections, organized crime. They took him to funeral home, burned him, chopped him up, and sent him out to different parts of the country in pieces, in ashes, and gone. And they said, they'll never find him. Never. He says, we know how to operate. We know what to do. Dom was offered murder contracts that created sensitive situations and tested his ability to maintain his cover. I had to be real careful because once you get involved and they offer you that contract hit, either they're going to have to let that individual know because you can't have it. Can't, if, if you don't do the job, they'll have somebody else whack the guy. So you really have to be careful how you maneuver with this. I was very successful with this. I told him I would take the job, you know, hold on. I said, you really want me to clip this guy? He says, we want him clipped. We want him out of the picture. Although Dom was living a life immersed in criminal activity, he never lost his humanity. While I'm doing all this, I had a guy come to me in one of these places in Brooklyn. He goes to me, listen, I know you're doing business here, but... I have these weapons that I'd like to sell you. I said, well, what do you have? He says, I have five of these handguns. I said, why are you coming to me? Why? Why?" He says, I need the money. I said, what do you need the money for? And he just didn't fit the characters like that I was dealing with. He says, listen, my son's in the hospital. I need the money. I need the money. I got to pay for things. I'm saying to myself, Jesus Christ, I got a family. You know, God forbid something would happen to one of my kids. You know, whatever it takes, you're going to do. And I, I told the guy, listen, do me a favor. I don't know you. You don't know me. Just take a walk. He said, but what about the... I said, I don't know nothing. Do yourself a favor. Take a walk. I'm not buying. I, I couldn't do it. I, I, I just couldn't do it. Dom struggled with befriending suspects, gaining their loyalty, and knowing that he would ultimately betray their trust. But he also understood that it was his job to expose crime. He was a first-hand witness to mob hustles and the characters orchestrating them. This guy, Rudy, takes me in his house. He just got married. His wife, they had a baby. Now, Italian people, right? He sells me a machine gun. I buy the machine gun, sit down, sit down and relax. They're cooking me sausage and peppers, eggs, and, you know, I'm breaking bread with them, and I'm going, this guy is never going to get the fuck out. This guy's going to jail. He's never going to get out no more, you know? He's going away forever. But that's life, you know? That's That's the way it goes. You know, when we took a lot of these guys here, guys, guys would tell me, hey, Dom, you know, we would have killed for you. We, we, you know, there's things we would have done. When I was with Alex, we met a guy that we would 
Tommy Guerrero made a made guy they were trying to get from years for Boston. We go to Boston, we buy a machine gun at Logan Airport. We come back. We have him deliver C4 explosives. He flies it. He comes in on the airport back then with the plastic explosives, a block of, of explosives. Gets to New York. We talk. We go for a little dinner. We break bread. He gives us the, you know, the block of explosives. And we take him down. And there's another one. This man, I would have killed for you guys. I would have killed for you, Alex. You know, Jesus Christ, I'm never going to see daylight. We took off all five people, uh, 68 people in the five in the five families, and how the how these families operated with motorcycle gangs that did their business, that were trafficking guns and explosives, that would do hits, that would do arsons. I used to go to a place where all the New Jersey and New York diner owners went in Astoria, Queens. And when you go upstairs, when you went upstairs here, now this is starts at one o'clock in the morning. And here comes all these business people, diner, diner owners from New Jersey and New York, loaded with cash. And there's a game called Babook. And all these ladies are there with the silk and you can see through it, you know, and anything you wanted at this club. And a lot of gambling, a lot of connections. One of the head guys there, the Greek guy, goes to me, I need to talk to you. Takes me in, and he offers me, I need you to blow up a diner in New Jersey. And I said, Jesus, I said, I'm really kind of tied up. I said, let me think about it. She says, you think about it. He says, I want it gone. You know what I mean? Gone. I had guys telling me, listen, you know, we have this thing that we can do. I said, what thing? He says, look, you know, a kilo is 2.2 pounds. I said, yeah. He says, remember this. We, we get the key. We get just take the two pounds, put the point two on the side. You sell that, okay? And you keep getting the coke. You keep getting the coke and the kilo, and you keep breaking it down, and you build your own two point two pounds of coke. Do you follow me? In other words, I'm getting the key, and I'm only selling the two points, not the two point two. The two ounces are on the side now. And I'm building my own key every time I sell a block of that. Now, I built my own key. All that money is profit. You cut it. In a week, you make a hundred and something thousand on the streets. I was working like from 10 o'clock in the morning till maybe two or three in the morning. And I, just, I remember just getting home one more, one day. And I, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I saw, oh, man, finally, I get some peace you know, see my family. No, as soon as I get in, phone rings, Tom. We need you to meet us at the Meadowlands in Jersey. We want you to meet a guy by the name of Harry to pick. I said, I just got in the house. He says, we need you. I meet them in an area. I go into the Meadowlands. I go to a private box where they're betting. And I meet Harry to pick. Harry knows I'm good people and, and we start talking. Harry works for the mob. 
Harry gets 10% of all the booty that he can get out of safes. And how this works is Harry is the best safe cracker in the United States. He works for the mob. And all he does is fly around the country and opens up safes and takes the booty out and he gets 10% of whatever's in there. And he's telling me how he does this and everything. And amazing, amazing networking that these guys had. Amazing. Dom received insider tips on how to complete mafia assassinations and send a subliminal message. When you go take a contract hit, if you want to do it, you can ask them, how do you want it? Do you want it to look messy or do you want to make a statement? Some guys say, I want to make a statement. He says, okay, what do you want? I want his his tongue cut out and I want it stuck up his rectum. Do you follow me? The other one, I want a dead canary stuffed in his mouth. They get the picture. When the time came to make arrests, Dom was stunned at the size and scope of what his work had created. They called, they picked a date. They said, that's it, Dom. Stay cool. Come to police plazas, 7 o'clock. I walked in it. It must have been like, honest to God, like 2,000 police officers. I said, in the auditorium, I'm going, what the hell? Because you're just doing your part. What I was doing is they were transcribing the tapes, and I keep moving on, making my reports, you know, and they kept the files and all that. And it just kept building and building. And I didn't realize it's Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, and I'm looking, and everyone has folders. They were breaking up in teams. And what they did was... Um, they gave a scenario what's going on. Nobody left there till about 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock that night. They went out in teams. It would be an ATF or two ATFs, uh, two organized crimes, two other officers. And this was a joint investigation between New York Police Department and ATF. And when they left, they went to the subject's house, no matter where he was. No one went down until 5 o'clock in the morning. Nobody. You follow him. You put him to bed. You put him with his gamada. I don't care where you put him. 5 o'clock, you take him down. Period. And sure as hell, everybody leaves. The place is empty. I said, man, I said, I'm all wound up. So I hung out at the ATF office in the command post. And it was a long night. And like five, you can hear the radios where they had the guys, they were putting them to sleep. They were at local joints, you know, gambling place, wherever they were, they had them located. And five o'clock, you can hear location one down, location two down, location 10 down, location six down. I'm going, holy Christ. With his suspects in custody, Dom went face to face with the criminals he had investigated, but now with the truth as a federal agent. He was threatened, but ultimately the integrity of how he conducted himself while undercover was respected. This is Tom. This is, uh, these are all the guys. So all the guys are in there, and this, uh, they take me in. And you hear fucking mouths drop now. Now, this is only one little part of it, okay? Because they didn't know who the hell who, who dropped what dime. Because I'm going right down to the alphabet. I, I'm meeting people and getting them out of the picture. And then I meet someone else. And he's introduced me to other people. I get him out of the picture. And I just keep going like that. I don't have to go back to you. I already own you. 
You know, how many more silences or, or machine guns am I going to buy from you? I don't need you no more. How many bear bonds am I? I own you already. You're out of the picture. So, you know, these guys couldn't figure out who who was what. And then when I walked in, and what happened was one of the made guys, a uh, one guy gets up tomorrow. You'll be dead. I'll be pissing on your grave. He stands up, and I go, oh. Fuck. So a made guy goes up, and I never forgot this. In front of everybody, goes, sit the fuck down. He tells his kid. The kid just sits down. You can hear a pin drop. He goes, take a good look at him. And I'm standing. He says, take a good look. I want everybody to take a good look at him. He said, he didn't fuck a woman. He didn't do cocaine. He did his job. He didn't know shoot. He did nothing illegal. I got to give you credit. He says, but we want the fucking rat who introduced us. Period. As long as I did my thing and I didn't go off and fuck their ladies, did cocaine with them, did nothing like that, they were cool. You know, because I did it. I, I didn't speak. I went, I went by the book. When Dom met Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman was a verified mob hitman who was known to poison his victims. Dom had an end game plan to protect himself. You know, you you got to be careful because you don't carry an antidote down with you, you know? You kiss your ass goodbye. And he was telling me how he killed people. And I said to the couple of guys in the homicide squad, I'm going to tell you this right now. I always had my leather jacket and I had my, I had a 380 uh, Walter PPKS in my pocket, pointed at him every fucking time. And I wouldn't drink anything. I wouldn't eat anything. You know, cause, I don't know, because they said, get you an epidermis, man. Kiss your ass goodbye. There's no antidote. You had to be careful where you put this stuff. So I said to them, I said, I'm going to tell you something in Burden County. And they knew me. I said, if this guy pulls his spray out, I'm blowing his fucking brains out. I'm telling you right now. They said, you do what you got to do. We'll handle the homicide squad. We'll handle the homicide. So they knew... There was a lot of stuff that's not publicized that, hey, listen, I'm putting my life on, on, on the line here. Don't give me this shit. This guy pulls out this, this spray that you're all aware about this here and using pure cyanide and there's no antidote. You think by the time you come to get me, you know, I'm going to be saved. That ain't working. This guy gets in the car with me. I said, I am telling you, if he pulls the spray, they gave me the green light. And it gets into your epidermis, man. It goes into your system. You're gone. You're gone if he puts it on a steering wheel or whatever. I don't know. I'm saying, man, this is crazy. Kuklinski got the nickname Iceman because he froze his victims to disguise their time of death and confuse the investigators. He was something else. He was a professional hitman, you know, uh, a scam artist, a man that was heartless, and I mean heartless, you know. I mean, he kept one of his victims in a freezer for over a year or two and uh, tried to make the cops look stupid because when he dumped the body out, uh, the guy was uh, didn't decompose. Um, and uh, that's one of the you know reasons why he got the name the Iceman. And uh, but he killed whatever method he felt that he needed to do and make a statement. And he was a cold-blooded son of a bitch. Dom was provided government-issued props that he used for credibility and to gain Kuklinski's attention. I need to bring in some props into that store. So what do you mean? I want some plastic explosives and silences. This is the truth. Silences, no manufacturer serial numbers. You know, they gave it to me. They gave me 10 blocks of plastic 
military explosives, right, um, with the military signatures on them, and I had ten high standard twenty two caliber silencers. I said, "Would it, I said just enhance, just let me do my thing." They gave me the approval. I took it. I pulled in one day at the, at the store, and I had this attaché case. I don't say nothing. I'm buying coffee, and they go, "What's that?" I said, "It's for people in New York." Now, what do you got? It's for people in New York. They're badgering me, badgering me. Says, come on. And I go in the back room. I flip it. Right? Guys come. Holy shit. They see the plastic explosives and the silence. Don, please. I can use a few blocks of this. I can use this. I, I, I'd, I'd like to take care of a few people. So listen, I just told you this is for people in New York. You want to sit down with me? You sit down with me later. Okay. So I grabbed that word flew out like you would not believe, you know, what I brought in that I was going over to New York with. Dom met Kuklinski and won him over after no one else was able by playing hard to get. So I meet Kuklinski at the donut shop, okay? He gets out of this Camaro that I knew he drove, and this fucking guy was growing like a jolly green giant. He was a big son of a bitch. He had these orange tinted glasses like they were going to burn right through me and take my soul. And this son of a bitch, look how big he is. So I said, be cool, Dom. Get out. I get out. We look at each other. Shake hands. We go into the donut shop. We go in the corner. We we start talking generalities. Then he goes, "Um, you do coke? I said, no, I don't do coke. He says, "Um, well, what can you get a kilo for? And at the time, I said, well, it's probably around 30000 a key. He says, I can get it for twenty eight. I said, well, then I'd go with your guy. He says, he looks at me with so many glasses, and he goes, yeah, but I don't know if I can trust him. I look at him, I said, well, then you're a fucking fool. Exactly what I said to him. He looked at me like, the, I'm saying three to five seconds, that, like he was grabbing my fucking soul and wanted to crush me. And he looks, and he goes, yeah, you're right. And Jay, for whatever you can say, I don't care who says anything. I said, I got this son of a bitch, and I didn't do anything. I, that's how confident I felt. That's when Kuklinski let his guard down. I, I just felt, and he says, all of a sudden, you can get pure cyanide. Not cyanide, not rapport. You can get pure cyanide. I said, yeah, I have my connections, but you're going to do one thing for me. He goes, what's that? I said, I'm in the steel business. He said, what do you mean? I said, bang, bang. He goes, yeah, I can get that. I said, you show good faith to me, and then I'll show you good faith to you. I said, you'll have your sign on. An exchange of phone numbers tied the Iceman to previous murders. And sure enough, we go outside. We exchange telephone numbers, and I look at the telephone number that he gave me. This particular number. All the five bodies that were murdered used this number that he gave out that was died later. Kuklinski delivered Dom an assassination hit kit in exchange for the cyanide he needed to murder more targets. And sure enough, down the road, he delivers a hit kit, uh, 22 calibers, uh, fit on a beautiful weapon. Uh, I pay him $1,100 in a parking lot at the Vince Lombardi service station. The investigation held such high profile that Dom ran into a political power play to remove him and insert someone else to take over the case. He knew better than to allow that to happen. As I walk in, this guy puts his arm around me, brass, 
and I'm not getting into what the department grabs me, sits me down and closes the door. He goes, I want you to listen to me. And I'm looking at him. He goes, this is what you're going to do, kid. I said, what's that? He says, you're going to turn around and you're going to introduce one of my players to Kuklinski and you're walking. Do I make myself clear? And I said, run it by me one more time. And you don't talk to these people. These are like majors and, sh you know, and, and he says, he reiterates, he says, you're going to introduce one of my boys and you're taking a walk. And I turned around and I said, all due respect, go fuck yourself. How's that grab you? He turned red as a beast. Dom explains his strategy that won over the Iceman. Everybody that tried to meet with this guy, when he said something, everybody jumped. I'm not jumping for him. I have something that he needs. He's going to jump for me. And they're looking. And what goes off is my pager as I'm talking. I look at it. They say, well, who's that? I said, Kuklinski, the guy, this guy had the confrontation was, get him a tape recorder. I want a tape now. I said, I'm not calling him. <laughs> if anybody dies, it's going to be your response. I said, under your watch, five fucking people just died. So don't give me no of your shit. This is, in front, this is a, you should have seen this thing, man. I'm telling you. And they're looking and going, wait, wait. And I explained why I am not going to call him. And they agreed with me because I'm not jumping for him. I just met him. Everybody that jumps for him ain't happening on our end. Dom had gained such trust that Kuklinski confessed his murders, all recorded by Dom on hidden devices. And sure enough, when he delivers the guns, we start talking and we meet at the Vince Lombardi service station. And several conversations, he's telling me how he murdered everybody, how he how we strangled the guy, how we bought hamburgers with the cyanide, how we watched these people die, and then he strangled them. And they all were laughing in this motel. Then they put the body underneath the beds and they walk out. Then another incident where they, where he grabbed one of the, one of the victims and he murdered him and he put him in the freezer for two years. He says, I made the cops look like jerks. I said, what do you mean? He says, you know, I put a body out there. He says, and... He says, the cops think he's only dead, you know, for, for a week or two because he froze the body. The body didn't decompose. However, when he disposed that particular body, it was in either August or September. And what happened is when they did the autopsy, they found ice crystals in the body. And they're saying, something's wrong here. And they find out who it is. And sure enough, he had the same clothes on he disappeared with two years ago. And he didn't decompose. Amazing. Amazing. And, and Kukunski once in a while would tell me a joke. He goes, you know, he says, let me tell you something. He says, when you do things like this, he says, let me tell you what to use. He says, use glad bags. They last a long time. <laughs> I said, you're going to do commercials now. <laughs> Dom's work tied together various elements of circumstantial evidence to successfully complete the investigation. Oh, it was amazing. A anyway, I had all this tape conversation on this guy from soup to us, how he murdered, and it started fitting in. Because in the beginning, all they had was circumstantial, which meant nothing. Okay, guy made a telephone call. There used to be toll calls. That that doesn't, okay, so there were toll calls to a number. That number may be Kuklinski's, but how do you know somebody else wasn't on the line? So they're not sure. They had a lot of circumstantial. They needed direct evidence. I had to go and... And I was good with bullshit. And then I had, once I get to know him and all that, I was 
beating him and drawing him in. And he was just telling me how he murdered people. And I said, listen, I kill people with guns. Well, what the hell is this with the sign? He goes, Tom, he says, you make it nice and easy. He goes, you make it clean. Or you want to make it messy? He says, you know, for instance, you know, cut the guy's tongue out, stick it up his ass. He says, or he says, you grab a canary and you stuff it in his mouth. And you know the reason why the canary's there. He says, so you get the picture. Or if they want it nice and clean, you know, a little boost. He used to call the site. Give them the boost. He says, and they fall asleep. And they don't know what happened. They think it's a heart attack. After I had all the conversations, they listened to all the tapes, and they redacted the tapes because a lot were prejudicial towards each murder one, each murder that he did. Each murder, I had a tape or tapes that, that with direct evidence how he murdered these people. Dom set Kuklinski up for arrest. He delivered the Iceman cyanide intended for use on a new victim and agreed to split the murder's payoff. They picked the date when to take him down. We met at the Vince Lombardi service station where I'm going to give him now the cyanide to murder whoever he wants. And we're going to take care of this rich kid. We're going to split $80,000 between he and I. So he think he's going to make a score, use the cyanide, make $40,000, and off he'd go to with the kid. We were going to tape him up, put him in one of the barrels that he left. They take him down at his residence. Inside the trunk of the car where I gave him was this three egg sandwiches that we were supposed to give to the rich kid. Once he eats that, he dies of cyanide. We tape him up, we kill him, and we split the monies. After hearing Dom's testimony, Kuklinski knew he was done. The Iceman confessed his crimes before the judge. And what happened is when I testified, it was sequestered. So when I walked in, they played the tapes, and the courtroom was packed with people and his family. And they hear the tape conversations. Now, me speaking about it and how you're going to kill people and him telling me now how he's going to kill them. It's, it's amazing hearing his story, how he's saying it and what an evil son of a bitch he is, you know. And, the, and his wife, two daughters and the baby started screaming and ran out out of the courtroom. And he was found guilty. He, he Then when he came back after a sentence he was going to plead guilty to another murder where he, Judge Kukumeister asked him, well, why'd you do it? And how'd you do it? He says, well, Your Honor, one, he says, I uh, shot in the back of the head and uh, the other one I shot three times and I threw him in the trunk of my car and he didn't die and uh, I hit him with the tire iron. He was gurgling and I kept hitting him till, he dead, till he's dead. And Kukumeister said, why? He says it was strictly business. Dom uses prayer for his guidance. I'm not that religious, but I do pray every day. And I hope somebody's listening. Like many who go willingly into the life and death depths of undercover, Dom paid a price. Missed time with his family. Uh, during that time, uh, my wife had cancer. and She passed in 209. And it was difficult because 
you know, yourself doing undercover and what had happened to you and your home and everything, your family life and everything is like disarray. I missed a lot of things with my kids. I can't get that back. Now, my grandkids, I'm trying to get that back to, you know, go to their games and go see things, but it'll never get to the point where, you know, I miss my kids playing ball and doing things and because I was so tied up and so focused on my job and, and everything else. Dom gives real-life advice to young undercovers to stay alive, respect the profession and those who laid the groundwork for the rest of us, and to never forget who you truly are. Something that was easy for me. My neighbor, it was like I was in the neighborhood with the guys. It was natural. It's my habitat. You come into my habitat, you better know your shit. And a lot of these young guys, I tell them, listen, you know, whatever you do, make sure you do it right. Because I'm going to tell you something. You can't make mistakes in the streets. You can make mistakes in the academy because you can do it again. You can't do it again in the street. So you better understand and know what the hell you're doing. And, you know, hopefully they, they get the message. Some of these guys think, you know, they got brass balls and, you know, everything is, you know, no problem. I can do this. Oh, really? Well, let me tell you something. I'd like you to take you, you know, to 18th Avenue and, and just Newark. I'd like to see how tough you are there. You know, they, they make me laugh. You know, you didn't have your blinker on. You pull up like I just robbed four fucking banks. I'm just, you know, like, are you kidding me? You know, different world. Different world. Respect the badge. Respect the, the people that have done this job. Because sooner or later, you active law enforcement are going to retire. And you're going to be in the same shoes as we are. And we respect you. And we'd like you to respect us. Whether we're retired or not, we'd have your back. Listen, guys like yourself who walk the walk, understand exactly what I'm saying. And anything you do or that you do well, man, I'm proud of you. And I think it's phenomenal. And, you know, never forget where you come from. That, that's so important to me. Never forget your friends and where you came from. The story of Richard Kuklinski and Dom's investigation is captured in the film The Iceman, starring Michael Shannon and Ray Liotta. Dom currently speaks to law enforcement groups and corporate organizations to tell his story in person. Copland is produced for those courageous men and women whose alarm clock goes off every day. They put their feet on the ground, buckle on gear, and kiss their families goodbye with no guarantee they will ever come home. They go willingly, facing predators and violence on behalf of good and innocent people who simply want to live safe, peaceful lives. Thank you for listening. God bless and go be amazing.